Guess what book we're in, Anthony? John. John. Chapter 5. We're going to finish John chapter 5 today. Man, we get through this hard time right now. Jesus, like I said, Jesus is here and he's, he's in the fight now. They hate him. They've told him we're going to kill you. And so now he's, now he's like, all right, well, let me tell you who I am. If you're going to kill me, I'm going to give you a good reason. <laughs> and after this, we get into like the really cool, some of the stories and some of the miracles and some of the words of Jesus, some of the major teachings that he gave, what we call his narrative teachings. Um, we'll have a good time hanging out in those and really picking apart things like, what's the word bread really mean? And the light really mean? And um, getting to John 14, and I am the way, the truth, and life. And so a lot of really fun stuff coming up. But I love this passage of Scripture. I love what Jesus does here. Let's read it first, and then we'll get into it. John five thirty through 47. I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, that's John the Baptist, and he was born witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from, that, from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the, works, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If, any, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you. Do you not think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses me, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would, have, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. One of my favorite lines in the entire Bible right there, by the way. One of my favorites. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Father God, I ask that you add your blessing to your word today. Make your presence known. Amen. I want you to see in this chapter, and especially this passage, I want you to see it as a defense argument. I want you to look at it as here we are in a courtroom, and Jesus is the defendant. He is not only the defendant, he is the defense attorney. And he is approaching these Jewish leaders as a lawyer. We said in chapter 5 he made the healing. He called out the Sabbath. Then he claimed to be the, fa- uh, the father. And then they said because of this they're ready to kill him. Last week we talked about his authority. And he has laid the first part of his defense on them. Here's what I'm claiming to be. And now he's saying, and I have witnesses. The state of Texas a couple years ago 
Put in a fast lane to the death penalty. They have an express checkout lane now. If you murder somebody and there's three eyewitnesses, you go straight to the death row. Now, that's not real fair because I can cooperate with two people and lie on you. So they found some flaws in that system, but they put it in. It's available for use. It's amazing how we take someone's word as, as this great of a witness to end someone else's life. And it would bear witness in a trial if someone testified against you like that and there was three people that said the same thing or similar and it would hurt, it would hurt you. So with that concept, Jesus is coming to them knowing how they would rule and the Jewish court was very much based on somebody else's testimony. It was also very dirty and scandalous and um, back, 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 uh, backdoor money changing and stuff, but... He knew that they were going to look for a sign and a witness to who he is. And so he is going to give them the, this, this witness. He is um, proclaiming his case. He is defending himself. And he is providing this testimony to do so. So here's where we are. We have the accusations. You have claimed deity. You have made yourself equal with Elohim. That's who you say you are, Jesus. And we don't believe you. Jesus says, I plead guilty. Guilty. That you said that I'm making myself to be equal with God? You're right. That's, who, that's what I'm doing. I'm telling you that I am from the Father. That's who I am. Let me line up my defense there. Let me have my witness testimony come forward. And I will share it with you. And then you can go from there. So Jesus, also in this passage, I think it's really cool, that Jesus goes from a third person discussion of who the Son is and who the Father is. I am the Son. He is the Father. I'm, and then he comes into the first person discussion. I. The first time we ever see Jesus... Truly putting himself, like, <laughs> we always say I and we tell our story. Jesus here finally does it to a point to where he says, I am standing here. And this, this very first word actually in verse 30 is, the, where it says I can do nothing, is the exact same um, word that when they translate the Hebrew Bible for I am, for God, it's the same word they use in the Greek. It's pretty neat. Because it's used it twice in this verse. Because not only is he saying, I do not do, but he's saying, but I still I am. <laughs> it's, it's amazing what he does here if we understood that original language and could break that down. But he moves into this first person so that he is not only testifying the witness of himself, he is continuing to back the claim that he is the Father the entire time. That he and the Father are one. He and the Father are one. The entire time. And the Jews would have known that. And they would have uh, taken a step back and they would have, What? So 30 and 31 are introductory ideas and kind of almost summaries, actually, of the rest of what he's going to say. Let's look at them real quick. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He says, I'm not acting independently. He says, I might be I am, but I'm not acting as I am alone. It's the same thing we heard him say about his authority, where it came from. So... He says, I'm not doing this alone. I'm connected to the outside work of him who is greater, the Elohim, and I'm doing his work. And, and, and he says, he says I, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to perform anything. I'm not going to speak a certain thing. I'm not going to judge what the word judge there means. I'm not going to speak forth anything towards you. It's not, it's not, it's, I used a courtroom, didn't I? It's not a judge with a gavel, okay? It's, it's not even saying, I don't like your hair, that kind of judgment. It's, it's just speaking forth anything type of a, a truth to people. He says, I'm not doing anything of this on my own. I'm doing it because I'm listening to the Father and I've got the connection and I'm doing as he is instructing me to do. And then he says, 
31 says, if I bear witness, um, if I alone bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. He says, you aren't going to believe me if I just say it and try to explain it to you and walk away. You need more than this. And that's this to me, guys. We talk about it a lot, and sometimes it's hard to see. This is grace. This is Jesus looking at them and going, I love you so much and you're so hard-headed and dumb that I'm going to tell you all about it. I'm going to give you some witnesses to try to explain to you why you should believe in me, even though I, you should just should believe in me, but I'm going to help you out because I love you and I'm here to love you. That's, that's the definition of grace. When you're looking somebody in the face that couldn't care less what you have to say and doesn't believe you and all they have already told you they want to kill you, and you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to defend myself, but I do it only because I want you to understand. Jesus wasn't scared of the cross. He wasn't defending himself to keep himself from dying. He's defending himself so they, they might worship him and understand who he is. Do you see the difference? Grace, not judgment. I did not come that the world might be destroyed. I come that the world might be saved. Right? Grace. It's so amazing when we actually understand what Jesus' heart was when we stop, we talk about this in Sunday school, when we stop applying our own characteristics on God and we start seeing Him for who He is, this is loving. This is gentle. Because He could have said, you want to kill me? What? They could have been gone. I read this morning with my kids, we read the story out of Ezekiel where Ezekiel speaks to dry bones and God reforms bodies and gives them breath again. If He can do that kind of a miracle, He could have wiped them out. But no, He says, I'm going to bear witness because you've got to understand. If I claim this in front of you, I know it's insufficient. So here you go. Let me give it to you. Let me prepare for you this witness. <coughs> and and we, see, um, we, we see that he's pulling this word truth, which is the same word that they use constantly in the, in the Hebrew to, to talk about the law and to talk about, um, the, 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 especially throughout Deuteronomy, it's used a ton. It's the same exact word. That means the, the entirety of their teachings in one is the truth. He's saying, I am here to be the truth. I'm trying to show you the truth. We'll see that again in a minute. But so, so he's got four sources that he brings to the table. He's bringing four witnesses to the table that they're going to understand, that they're going to recognize, they're going to know we're there, they're going to see them and go, okay, I get it. I, we understand what you're saying. They're still not going to believe it. Okay, guys, we know the end story, right? They're still not going to buy it. I'm going to ask you today to buy it. I'm going to ask you today to go, okay, this is who Jesus really is. I, I'm buying that. I'm all in for that. But here, they don't do that, no matter what. But he still gives them, he gives them the four witnesses. He gives them John the Baptist. He gives them God the Father. He gives them Scripture. And he gives them Moses. That's a terrible color somebody picked. I don't know who did that. Um, I didn't think about the sun, sunlight that hits the back of that screen when I did it. So these four witnesses is who he goes through. As, and, and we read that. Uh, I read it pretty slow this morning, but it still might be hard to see when you're taking all that in in one. So that's why we get to break it apart. Thank you for the versification of Scripture that somebody did for us not too long ago. It helps us really understand how to read this. So let's go to verse 32. And he goes, Verse 32, 33 are a little confusing because he starts out with the ultimate witness. But if we read it too quickly, we're not going to read it that way. Because verse 32 says this, There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Okay. Verse 33 says, You sent to John, John the Baptist. If we're not careful, if we don't look at the original language, 
we wouldn't go terribly wrong here to say, okay, another is John. We wouldn't go terribly wrong. We wouldn't defy Scripture. It wouldn't be blasphemous. It wouldn't be, we wouldn't change the meaning. However, because we do have the original language, we can look at it and go, the word another here actually means, it, there's not a good way to explain it in English. It's a deified word. It's a word that means higher or greater. There's another, or a one that is greater, kind of. It's just not a good way to define it and for us to understand this word. We don't have a direct translation of this word. And so, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. There's that word true again. When he speaks about this, he's actually speaking about God the Father and not John the Baptist here. Only because we know that Jesus would not have deified a word toward John the Baptist. He wouldn't have made a saint out of him. He wouldn't have made an idol out of him, as we talked about in Sunday school. He... He wouldn't have done that. He would not have put a word like that on, on John the Baptist. It's like me going, okay, I really look up to, uh, to Bill because he knows how to do all this heavy equipment and stuff, and I'm just scared to get close to that stuff. And so I say, well, he is, I, I could use a word to D if I don't know, glorious he is. I don't know, I wouldn't say that. But it'd be like doing that to somebody we know in the room. So Jesus isn't doing that. Okay, so he, he immediately starts off with God the Father. Here's what he is, and I know that he is the truth. John the Baptist sinned. Anybody believe that? John the Baptist was a sinner, right, because he was human? And so he, he could not say that everything he ever testified was true, like he can about the Father. Okay, that's another clue. So anyway, we'll stop there. 33, now we get to John the Baptist. You sent John, and he has bore witness to the truth. You sent him. John 1, remember guys, 1, 19 and 20, and then verse 29 where John talks about Jesus and the testimony of who Jesus is. And said, so this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites to Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but I am not the Christ. He said, I'm not the Christ. I am one bearing witness for the Christ. I'm testifying. Many, many Jews, even the Jewish leaders were fine with John the Baptist teaching Jesus' coming. They followed him. They were okay with it. They were watching him. They were skeptical because that's who they were and he might take their power. But at the same time, they were truly buying into his teaching until, <coughs> excuse me, until verse 29, where John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now he's saying it's this dude? We're not in anymore. But when Jesus speaks to these Pharisees and these Jews, he's saying, I know that at one time you believed John the Baptist. And you knew what he was teaching you was truth out of the Old Testament. Well, they didn't call it the Old Testament, but it was out of Scripture. You knew what he was, te- <coughs> was teaching you. But now you don't because he has testified to who I am? John spoke truth about him. John said, this is the Lamb of God. He, did it. He's, he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. He is all that we need. He is the one that God has sent. John said that. They bought into everything until that moment. Until then, they were in. Or they could have been in if the right person would have come along. Had Jesus come in on a white stallion with his hair flowing back and looked buff and, and masculine and, and had an army behind him. And he's there he is. They would have followed him quick. That's right. It's Fabio on those book covers he used to pose for, right? But it wasn't. It was this carpenter from Nazareth who'd been having a small following, but he was just another guy. He says, John told you who I was and you didn't listen. 
That's his first witness. Verse 34. He's continuing to talk about, not that the testimony from this man, not, not that the testimony I receive is from this man, but I say these things so you might be saved. He's telling them that John the Baptist is not who it is that's telling him the things that he is. He is not a God. He am just reminding you of who he is. And not, not, nor did he make me a God. He was just telling you who I am. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. So he's telling you that John the Baptist here, he ordered you to know more of who I am. He's trying to help you out, and you wouldn't take it. You wouldn't hear his voice. He was here as a voice for you. He was here to tell you, and you didn't listen. Remember, John the Baptist is a contemporary of Jesus. And already by this point, Jesus is talking about him, by the way, in the past tense. Just to let you know how quickly John the Baptist's fate happened. We're talking, we're talking probably, most scholars say, between the time that he was baptized at this point, seven months maybe. Maybe a year. And John the Baptist is gone. He's no longer teaching because he's, he's been martyred. It's sad. And here's what Jesus says about him, though. What a gorgeous, gorgeous testimony. May God say this of us one day. For he was a burning and a shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for, for a while in his light. It's a tribute to John. It's a tribute to John and a rebuke of these Pharisees. God is saying, he's saying a couple things here. Jesus is saying, one, John was an amazing tool for me. He was an amazing worker of the scripture. He was an amazing evangelist. He, he held up the light. Think of a lamp. You have a thousand lamps. You've got no bulbs. You've got no light. It's not saying he's the light. He's saying he's the holder of that light. He's the one who's showing that light. He's the one who's putting it out for everybody. He's saying he is the, he is the, the, the it's called a lugnas. He is the holder of that light. But he is not the fosse. He is not the light. Jesus is saying, essentially here, he was holding me up to you as a lamp and letting you know that I am the light. He says, then you said, you rejoiced for a while. I said, that's what I said a minute ago. You rejoiced for a while. They followed him. For a while here really means for a moment, for a short time. You know, they, 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 they followed him right until he started calling for repentance of their lives. <laughs> Until you announce to Jesus, this is the Lamb of God, repent to Him. That's who you follow. That's who's the real deal. Oh, wait a minute. No, we don't repent. <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. No, but John was bearing testimony for them. John was a witness because of his communication, special communication with God the Father. It called him, and he did exactly what God the Father called him to do. I don't mean special communication like God spoke to him in his head all the time. I mean, he knew God's calling on his life, and he lived in it. And he bore light. He, 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 he was the lamp that exuded the light to the world. That's witness number one. And it continues, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John's testimony is good, guys. It's a great testimony that somebody bore witness of me to you. But my own life is even a better witness. My life and the works that I do point to my deity, point to me being God. They show you who I am. I'm the Messiah. But why? Because the Father is bearing witness for me. So now he's saying, God, the Father is bearing my witness. He's saying it's only because of the Father that I've accomplished anything. My, my f- entire ministry, 
the miracles, the teachings, my death, my resurrection. It is all the witness of the Father. Now, we're not to the death and resurrection yet. We understand that. But we know the end story, so we can look at that. Here he is telling them that you know what I've been doing. And none of what I've been doing is about me. None of the signs I've shown are because of me. I didn't heal that man at the pool on Sabbath so that you would come and worship me. Is I did it because you would worship the Father. I did it so that you would understand that the Father is bearing witness to who I am. Verse 37 and 38. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Pretty clear there, right? I don't have to explain that one. His voice you have never heard. His form you've never seen. And you do not have its <clears throat> word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. God the Father. Not only the ministry, the miracles, the teaching, the resurrection. But now he says, and his own words that he has spoken to you. His own words that he has shared with you. His own words that he has sent to you through the prophets, through Isaiah, through Ezekiel, through Obadiah. They came to you. Hosea shared with you the word of God and you just, you knew it, you've heard it, you have it, and you don't understand it. You don't have it in your heart. I know I've said this a hundred times and I, and I credit um, Billy Graham because it's who I think made this statement or at least it's who I heard make the statement one time that there's a, hu- a huge gap that keeps people from heaven and hell and it's around the area of a foot or two feet between the heart and the head, between the brain and the, and the, the essence of the heart. He's saying to him, you might have it, but you ain't got it. You know, got it's a big difference, right? You got, you got something. You, you really have it, right? You may, you may have heard it. You may, have, you may have seen this concert, but you, didn't, you weren't in the concert. You might, have, you might have watched that game, but you didn't play in that game. Big difference. He's saying you heard it, but you don't have it. You ain't got it deep. He's talking about God's Word, too. He's not talking about this Bible that we hold today. He's not talking about these pages just right here. He's talking about the essence that's within these pages. Now, I love, I love Bibles. I have a lot of them. I love giving them away. But I also throw them away when I've killed them. My mother probably has never done that. She's got a ton of them in the house. And I'm like, Mom, they're just in a box. Well, there's a Bible. You know? I said, no, no, they're pages. The Bible is God's Word. The essence of that Word. So he's saying, not that he, Jesus isn't saying, look, you got the scrolls. He's saying you got what's written on those scrolls. He said that you knew it. You memorized it. You had to sit. <clears throat> if anyone's ever heard, by the way, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous sound. If anybody's ever heard uh, Jewish chanting um, or, or um, you know, nowadays you get, you get monastic monk chants on CDs and stuff, which kind of defeats the purpose of being a monastic monk. But none, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> if you ever go to a temple... Um, a Jewish temple, and I would encourage you if you ever have an opportunity to, to, to hear this, but when they quote scripture, most of the Old Testament in the Hebrew is written in verse, in, in poetic form, so that when they re- recite it, it sounds like a song. And it's gorgeous. Now you can't understand it, because you don't speak Hebrew. <laughs> but it's just this beautiful sound, and it's how they memorize and memorize and memorize. And so, you know, people have tried to put our scripture to, to song, it just doesn't work because it doesn't translate to song. But the, the Old Testament, the, 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 the Torah was written as, even, even you look at this, you know, uh, Leviticus and how it's got these laws and these rules, but they memorized them because they quoted it and they sing it. 
And they would sing it back to God as a form of worship. And Jesus was like, look, you did all that. You memorized it. You boast about that memory. You walk around here with your, with your special outfits on and your little prayer boxes on your forehead because you learned this stuff, but you never had it sink in. You never got it to fall deep. There's an old messianic rabbi, and I wish I'd have written down his name. I wish I'd have written down the quote, um, but I read it this week. And it, it, the concept was, a man can never truly allow the Word of God to get in his heart. What he does, he, he lays it on there in layers, and he reads it and tries it. And as that Word begins to break off and break his heart into pieces, then Scripture begins to fill those cracks and fall inside. And I thought, man, that's, that's so true. That's so true, because I can learn these words, and I can read these words, and they never, never, make, they never touch me. They never move me. They never do anything for me. That's what Jesus is saying to them here. He's saying, this is who you are, and what you need to understand is the Father sent me, and now I'm going to tell you that who I am, and I'm defending it with my own Father, with what He has done, He's giving you my word, and your truth is fulfilled through that. And that's where we get to this next part. These guys are searching the Old Testament that we call the Old Testament, the Torah and the prophets and the poetry, and they're looking for it, and they're looking for this Messiah, but they're missing it. it says, in verse 39, it says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He's saying... You go to them and it tells you the story of eternal life, but it does not contain eternal life. What it does, it testifies to me as being the bear. It bears witness of me. It tells you that I am eternal life. And yet you can't figure that out. Diligently they would study the Torah and the Pentateuch. It was legendary in their minds. It was the most epic. They would study it. They would jump all over it. You know, there's a, a famous first century rabbi named Heliel. And he said, the more... Um, study of the law, the more life. If a man has gained for himself words of the law, he has gained for himself life in the world to come. Wrong. Wrong. It's absolutely dead wrong. I don't care how many times you read this cover to cover, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have life. You know the famous pastor, preacher, and, and I don't know that where he, I don't know his theology great. I just kind of know who he is because he's got crazy hair and his wife's got crazy hair and they're on TV still. But I love the story of, of, of him as a man coming to Christ. Jack Van Impe's his name, if you know who he is. Um, he, he's theologically a little, yeah, some ways, but I don't know everything about him. I, I just know a little bit. But I do know that he was in prison and memorized the entire Bible. And then said, after that, he got out of prison, went to church, and accepted Christ. <laughs> You know, still pretty cool because you can quiz him and still you can tell him anything. You can ask him any verse and he can quote it, which is pretty amazing. And he's got to be like a thousand years old by now because he was old when I was a little kid. I think my mom said he was old when she was a kid, so I don't know, but, and she's old, so. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> and, uh, but it's amazing to hear, like, his testimony, regardless of where he stands on certain theolo- theology that I might not agree with, I don't know that... He does or does not have Christ. He claims he does. I have to take that as his witness. He has, he has put forth his life into telling people, regardless if it's exactly how I see it or not, or how I think Scripture teaches it, because what I see doesn't matter. Um, but he says, I memorized every word. 
and didn't know Christ. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Jesus, it's, it's amazing that he could memorize all this and then get to this passage and that not click. <laughs> but, but when you're reading it just for reading it and you're just memorizing out of the rote, and then it doesn't stick for us. And scripture becomes misguided alone. Scripture itself becomes an idol if we're not careful. In the book of Romans, Paul writes this. It's, my, it's in Romans chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, he's talking about the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. He's talking about these same Jews that knew it, that studied it, that wanted it, that never had it. All too often, this is the way we are. We work so hard to get to heaven. We don't understand that Jesus is laying out a graceful testimony here. We work so hard to understand what it takes to get to heaven. We wonder about our own righteousness and are we innately good or how do we get it? Heck, ask around. Anybody ever done an experiment where you ask people about being a Christian? Anybody ever been involved in any of those kind of things? I'm not, I, don't, I don't know that door-to-door uh, um, um, surveys work real well. Um, they did it one time. Supposedly, I don't know if they ever did. But... I've done them. I've done, I think better nowadays walk around with a camera and see in places people will come up and start, let you talk to them because they wonder what you're doing. It's pretty fun. Um, but said, you, you ask the question, are you a Christian? And you'll get, I go to church. Well, my grandma goes to such and such church. Well, I used to go to this place. Well, yeah, I've read my Bible. Or, well, you know what? I think so, because I know he was a good person, Jesus was, and he did good things, so I do a lot of good things, like I help people out. I try to do nice stuff for nice for people. You know, I saw a lady who had forgotten something at the grocery store, and I ran out to her car, going to heaven, right? That's what we do, though. It's the same thing the Jews are doing when they're trying to memorize Scripture. They're trying to work themselves to heaven. Acts 4.12 testifies to what Jesus is saying here. It says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given among uh, uh, under heaven given among men, which why we must be saved. Jesus says, it's only through me, not through my word. But this word does lay witness to who I am. Verse 41, I do not receive glory from people. What's this mean thrown in here? He's bearing these witnesses and he throws this in there. Jesus knew what their minds were doing. He knew what they were thinking. That's what this comes down to. And if we remember in John chapter 2, when he says he, he performed the feast... Um, he performed the miracle and the signs and people were entrusting themselves or trying to get around him but he did not entrust himself to him because he understood their hearts and their minds. Same thing here. He's saying, I'm not telling you this so you can glorify me or so you can worship me. I'm telling you this because you need to understand it. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want to throw at me. My glory doesn't come from you. He says, the truth here is, and there's amazing truth for us in life and we're going to come back to this in a minute, but... I want you to hear this line. Glory from unsaved people is not what Jesus is looking for. Okay? People in this world, and we say it, we, matter of fact, we misunderstand the idea that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. We think that that means everyone eventually is going to worship. It doesn't. It means they're falling down in judgment before Him. Jesus isn't looking for them to be glorified by people who don't know Him. Watch, watch this, watch this. I've got, got, got a perfect example for you. And the winner is such and such and such and such an actor. Man, at first I got to thank Jesus for this, you know, because if without Jesus I wouldn't have done this acting thing and I wouldn't be. Right? Right? You guys seen them on the wall, all the award shows. Every actor, every musician, 
Well, almost every. It's getting less and less nowadays. Jesus isn't looking for their glory. They don't know him. It's hypocrisy. And he's not, he's not in the game of being a hypocrite. You don't believe me? Read Matthew. <laughs> Read it where he calls, them, he calls hypocrites whitewashed walls. Where on the outside they look real pretty, on the inside they're dirty. A cup where you want to use a cup or a bowl and you only wash the outside of it and then you drink from it. Jesus isn't in that game. He's not looking for them to glorify him. He's won their hearts. He wants to get their hearts first. He's saying, you need to understand this. Verse 42. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Once again, he says, I don't want your praise. I want you to respond with love to God the Father through me. Not empty honor, not empty awareness. I'm going to die on the cross for you. I'm going to take a beating of my life and give it for you. I'm needing you to come back to me and stop rejecting me. Okay, 43. I've come in my Father's name and do not re- you do not receive me. If another comes in my name, you will receive him. They're right here, Jesus testifying of coming false witnesses. Just wondering, have any of you heard of any of these guys? <laughs> have we ever seen them? Does history kind of play out for this way? As a matter of fact, let me tell you, the sadness is in recorded history, within the Jewish community, there have been... Count them, 61 people who have come since Jesus in recorded history. I don't know how many haven't been recorded. But 61 times that they have professed someone else to be a Messiah. 61 times in Jewish recorded history since Jesus, someone has come along claiming to be the Messiah and they have announced him as the Messiah. It's amazing to me that the one that they killed, that they couldn't find him in the grave anymore, that they had over 500 people testify that they saw him after his death within this small area, not like Elvis nowadays, everybody's seen Elvis, right? But within this tiny, tight-knit area of people who didn't want him to be successful are coming and going, wait a minute, I saw him. You got a Roman soldier going, I don't know what to do here, but this dude came down, he had this white on, he was glowing, the rock rolled away and he walked out, I don't know what happened. But yet, 61 times since then, at least, someone has come along and they said, yep, that's, the new, that's, that's him, that's him, he's fulfilling prophecy. And then he dies, and what happens? Nothing. Pray for our Jewish neighbors, guys. We need to pray for the nation of Israel. Not because of the wars and the things. That's in side note. We need to pray that they find Jesus. Verse 44, he hits them about being self-absorbed. How can you believe me when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from the, from, from the only God? You're so caught up in seeing your own glory and getting it from each other and getting high fives and standing ovations in front of everybody else. You're so important to yourself that you miss me, the Messiah. You miss the glory that comes only from the Father. They were so busy in their religious duties that they couldn't see the Messiah. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you, do you not think, do not think, can't read, that I will accuse you to the Father, for there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Whoa! Moses is the centerpiece. Moses is the Jewish religion. Okay, we know that Abraham is the father of Israel, right? All that is out the window. Moses presented the law. Moses, Moses still to this day is the center point of Judaism. He is the center point of their religion. And Jesus says to him, 
I don't have to bear witness about you. I don't have to accuse you of your sin. Moses has already done it. You're claiming you know the law, and he's already accusing you of sinning against the law. So Moses is the next witness to Jesus here. He said, you don't believe me? Just read it again. Read it and actually read it for what it says because Jesus is writing, or Moses is writing all about me. And that's what we see in verse 46. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. I said it's one of my favorite lines in Scripture because what it does is it grabs Genesis and it grabs Revelation and it says there's one string. Runs all the way through it and it's Jesus. Because who wrote Genesis? Moses. What did Jesus just say right here? It's bearing witness to me. What did John say in, in, in the Revelation? That we're going to bear witness of the coming of the king return? <laughs> one line. One line throughout. Jesus. He says, Moses told you, you see it. If you would listen, you would know it. And you choose not to. They thought they knew it, but they didn't. On a much smaller scale, less important scale. You ever sat down? Some of y'all might not remember school. Um, But you remember when you... (laughs) Try not to, huh? Remember when you sat down to take a test in school? I studied. I got it. I'm ready. And your teacher sits sits down, something in front of you. It looks like a chicken ran across the page. I don't know what this says. I don't know what I'm looking at. Maybe it was just me, but math felt that way the whole time. That's what he says to him. He says, you think you know it, but you don't. You know nothing. In verse 47, he wraps it up. He says, but if you, be- if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe in my words? The problem was they saw Moses as their savior. And they kept his laws and tried to be righteous to what he taught them. Even though Moses was giving them the law of God, they had attributed it all to Moses at this point. And they're worshiping Moses, basically. And he's saying, there's a huge, profound failure in the grasp of the true essence of Scripture, you don't know me. He says, I'm God. They say, no, you're not. You're a blasphemer. So our conclusion today, in this argument, in this discussion, in this defense, is where do we place God? There's two things I want to apply here to our lives. The first one is this. Same as it was last week, basically. Who do you say God is? You know, there's a lot of people that do the three L's. He's... Liar, lunatic, or Lord. We can look at it that way. Or we can look at it as just, who are we going to claim that He is? Are we going to believe that He is God, or is He a blasphemer? Well, He has laid out for us, John the Baptist, who they were contemporaries with. God the Father, the Elohim, who they believed in. They desperately wanted to believe in. Guys, nobody studies this hard on the law if they don't think that they really are trying to get there. But their sin and their pride is blocking it. He says, the, the, the miracles and the things I do bear witness, the scripture that you know bears witness, and the one that you actually worship in place of God, Moses, he bore witness of me and his writings. Get it together. Church, get it together. Who do we say he is? Don't tell me you say that he is the Messiah and don't live like it. And what I, what I want to give you a way that we don't live like it. This is our second part of this application. I want us to go back and reread verses 41 to 44 together. We'll be done in a few minutes. You guys got a few more minutes in you? Got another hour? Verse 41 through 44. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. 
I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? It says, my question here is, my, my, my thought here is, who do you praise and from whom do you wish to gain praise and gain glory? To whom do you lay glory upon in this life? It would be called an idol. The girl, girls, Anthony, we talked about it, an idol. We have idols in our lives. Jesus calls them out for it being themselves and those around them. Yeah, I called you for a reason. That's the same that we do. We watch the TV stars and the athletes and all the things and we worship them. We, we go to school and our friends don't like our shoes so we don't wear them ever again. Somebody doesn't like our new haircut, we don't get worried about it. We all have these things. We all are guilty of it in some way or another. To whom are we giving glory and to whom are we trying to gain glory? Where do we seek the glory, praise, and adoration of our lives? Look, as parents, first off, as, as a spouse, you, you look for it in your spouse. From your spouse and you want to give it to your spouse. If it's done in correlation with how you worship God the Father and how you worship Jesus, it lines up perfectly and it's a wonderful, beautiful marriage of, of, of giving each other the glory and honor in life. But if you're both not going toward God in the same direction, then the one who is better give glory to God first and please Him first. Look, I sure wish I could get glory from my kids. I don't know if that ever happens, right? Um, maybe when they get older and they start looking at it and realize how hard it was and how hard we worked. Um, I, I say that because that's how I see my dad now. My dad doesn't want my praise or my glory. Matter of fact, he'd get mad if he, you know, I spoke about him as often as I do. But I look at him with adoration. I don't like everything he's ever said or done. But I glory in who he is. But I can tell you, he doesn't want that for me. He doesn't want that for me. Who are we seeking? Who, what are we looking for? This, this verse just, just hits me. Because Jesus says, I don't receive glory from people. He's saying, I don't need you you're, to glorify me. I am glorified because I am God. And I have the Father who is doing his work through me. But then he says in first four, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another? I think it's real simple. I think it comes down to a real simple test in your life. If we claim him with our mouths and maybe even have him in our hearts, truly have him, then why is it not seen always? Wait a minute, be careful. Be careful what I'm saying here. And I mean the word always. I mean, this is extreme. It's like skydiving. If we say that we have him and we know him, want to live for him, then why is it not done always in everything we do? Well, you don't mean how we clean the toilets at home. Yes, I do. Are we doing it so God's glorified in us? Be careful. I'm not saying that being clean gets you closer to God. I'm not saying that. But do, do we clean our homes because we want to glorify God? Do we do well in school? Do we work our very hardest at our jobs? 
Do we love our spouse and speak to them? Here's one for me. You ready? Do I speak to my kids the way that I would want Jesus to hear me speak to them all the time? I've admitted I have a hard time getting loud. I get too loud. I struggle with that. Always. Because any time, any time that I mess up and I jump on them incorrectly, it's because I'm trying to get them to glory me. I'm trying to get glory from them. That's what that is. Any time that we're doing something and it's not 100%, how can I do this? How can I be at the grocery store for the glory of God? That answer will change every time you go to the grocery store, maybe. But if our mindset is there, who knows what God's going to lead us to do? I had so much fun telling nurses about Jesus in the hospital. Because they ask, man, she's healing fast. I said, man, let me tell you. (laughs) There's this guy named Jesus. He rose from the grave. He can heal her face. (laughs) But have I done it at the grocery store? Have I done it? At the, if we've gone out to eat, if I ask the waiter if I can pray for him in a while, I haven't done some of this stuff that I used to do all the time. Because I'm not living every single moment to glorify God. I'm worried about what they're going to think of me. Well, what are they going to think? Am I going to think I'm a freak? Think I'm weird? What are they going to look at me and say? Look, our family gets enough looks. I got to get over this. What is my work people going to think if I, don't, if I don't stand firm and get loud with this person who didn't do what I said? What is this guy going to think of me if I let somebody else walk over? What if walking over you is to glorify God? That's for us guys. You ladies don't have pride issues, I know. Um, That's a lie detector. It went off in my ear. I don't know if y'all heard it or not. Um, How important is it to you that you live your life for the glory of God? He calls these Jews out here in one of the ways that I think hurts and humbles and is, is, is smacking them down to size and says, You do not live to glorify me. You live to glorify each other. You live to gain the praises of the ones around you. Church, I beg you for your your relationships in this world, for your family, for your jobs, for the lost that don't know Christ, that watch us walk around. We've got to learn that every single word and moment and topic and opportunity and place we go... And no matter what it is, it should be done for God's glory and no one else's. Mr. Mr. Reggie White said in his book, I love playing defense. I love getting to the quarterback. He's pretty good at it. He's real good at it. He said, but man, I, don't, I couldn't care less for those, the people that cheer. Because I love fans, but I couldn't care less. He said, I love when I go home and I talk to God and he says, I say, did I glorify you with how I acted today? And boy, it hurts when I didn't. You can't get more fandom than he had. You couldn't get screamed for louder than he got screamed for. Who are we trying to glorify? He finishes that statement up with going, I sure wish more games would have been for him. That's a pretty important statement. Because we're all still alive and we're still playing the game. 
we have an opportunity to walk out today and glorify God with everything that we say and do. Everything.